Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner, alongside, as always, staff writer Graham Hall. And Graham, uh, a loaded episode for the people today. Uh, Florida just took on Georgia, lost that game 42-20. to Some moments of valiant effort, some other moments of not-so-pretty product from the Gators, but all in all, uh, I would say a roughly expected result. Uh, but before we can really talk about that, as we usually do on our weekly review podcasts, uh, some big news out of the Florida program uh, on Monday. Uh, Billy Napier announced that he had dismissed uh, uh, junior Jack linebacker Brenton Cox from the team. Cox was in his fourth year at the University of Florida, his third at playing. He redshirted in 2019 uh, after transferring from the University of Georgia where he played for a year. He was in a starting role for the Gators, led the team with eight tackles for loss, and had two sacks on the season. And now he is no longer a Gator, a move that he called in a statement a bit of a shock. Uh, But frankly, I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on the decision to part ways with a guy who was playing a significant amount of reps for this team. Uh, And let's break that down before we break down anything game-wise. Yeah, this is a guy who I think arrived in Gainesville with a little bit of controversy considering what happened at Georgia. And although the production has been there, it's been kind of a situation where we've kind of heard rumblings at times of Brent Cox kind of being sometimes a disruption behind the scenes. And Billy Napier, I think, alluded to that yesterday when he spoke about the decision to part ways with Brent Cox, saying it was a cumulative effect rather than one specific incident. And I think that really is pretty straightforward here to the point there were some things that happened, obviously, after the game that haven't been disclosed. And this was what Billy Napier called a healthy decision to part ways with a talented guy who in all likelihood was not going to be back anyway. And as you saw yesterday, when he did speak out about the decision, he called it a shock while announcing that he was going to enter the 2023 NFL draft, which I think many people did see coming, like I said. So certainly this is a guy who rather than play out his final, what, four or five games with the Gators, depending on that bowl game there, is going to choose to spend the extra time healing and preparing away from the program. Whether he comes back for pro day remains to be seen. But for right now, Florida is going to move forward for the rest of the season, including a very interesting stretch here where they'll have to play three of the final four games on the road without one of their top defensive players. Right. And it's another youth movement for this team. And what Billy Napier has called a year focused on building experience behind the starting unit. And now they get, I think, a little bit of a head start there in developing guys like Antoine Powell and, and Lloyd Summerall. And and Billy Napier didn't outright say it, but I will uh, say on his behalf that this is also a year of growing the culture. This is a year of implementing uh, a culture, an atmosphere that he thinks can foster winning football. Uh, some of his former players at Louisiana have spoken about this, including guys who are now still his players, uh, Osiris Torrance, Montreal Johnson. Uh, there is a there is a culture that they've talked about that they were candid in saying Florida has not reached yet. There there's a ways to go before they really meet the desired culture for Billy Napier, and it's something that Billy Napier has recognized. I don't remember exactly which game 
it was after, but I believe he made a comment to the likes of we have work to do in terms of getting to the mindset and the atmosphere and the, the place uh, from a mental standpoint that they wanted to be. Uh, and for that reason, I will not sugarcoat it at all. I love the move. I think that this is a decision that allows Florida to get closer to this uh, desired atmosphere. Uh, does it come at the expense of a guy who was a significant factor in terms of rep distribution at that position? Of course, uh, there's no sugarcoating uh, how important Brenton Cox was to this team, if for no other reason than the fact that he was a starter for all eight games and he played a significant portion of the team's total reps. That being said, uh, look, I, I've been saying this since before the season even started. This is a year uh, of growth. It's a year of trying to align the program and the views that this new head coach and his staff uh, think are most suitable for the team. And frankly, if this was the decision that he thought needed to happen, I think that he should be supported by the fans for that. Uh, this is a move that clearly he thought was necessary to advance the team in the right direction. So uh, people will disagree with, with my take on this. Some people will say that he should have been left on the roster uh, for the final four games of the season. You've already made it two-thirds of the way. Why not let him finish with the team? Uh, others will say that it's a, it's a poor move because it really, really hurts uh, Brenton Cox draft stock to be dismissed from a team is never a good look. Uh, but here's how I view it. You got to support the head coach on this one. I think that he knows better than anybody what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, and I don't think that he's the kind of guy that dismisses people for no reason. He seems like a pretty stoic, uh, even keeled type individual. And so for it to get to this point, I'm, I'm certain that a lot had to happen. So uh, I like the move. I think that it advances Florida in a direction that Billy Napier is hoping to see the team go. Uh, and now my biggest question is, and I guess I can throw it back to you before we move on to Georgia, uh, could we see more? I think that this is the start of something. I don't think that this is the end at all. I think a lot of players, uh, whether they're dismissed before the end of the season or not, remains to be seen. But I think there could be a, a significant amount of guys who are either asked politely to find a new situation or just told outright that they need to leave. I do think that there will be some attrition after the season. I think that that's pretty obvious here at what time that's going to be. Yeah, like you said, I think remains to be seen whether they'll have players finish out the year or begin that process of starting to look for another home a little bit early, even though teams can't contact players unless they are graduates in the transfer portal. I think that kind of limits the options of a guy exiting during the season if they have the intent of playing elsewhere. With that transfer portal opening the first week of December, I do think you will see come that time by the end of the season, that attrition process continue to ramp up a little bit more. We've already seen guys like Brenton Cox leave the team now, and obviously Josh Braun a couple of weeks ago. And then even back in June, you saw Billy Napier dismiss three players from the team, or really a parting of ways, I should say. And I think that you'll see that process continue in some way, shape, or form in the offseason here moving forward. But I'm with you. I like the move for building the culture. I think it sends a strong message, whether Billy Napier is ready to come out and say that or not necessarily. I, I don't think you can really argue that. Um, I wrote about this yesterday on Swamp 247. I encourage everyone to check out all of our content there. We have daily coverage of the Gators, including yesterday's news of Brenton Cox. And I wrote about that he was hardly the first Florida player to be dismissed by a first-year UF head coach. I know that the situations are entirely different when it comes to the details necessarily, uh, but when Muschamp came in here and had a guy in Janoris Jenkins that had a couple run-ins with the law, including on a team that had outpaced really every other team in the country in run-ins with the law, you had to see 
a message sent there, I think, at the time. And it came at the expense of a guy in Norris Jenkins, who was a first team AP All-American uh, after his, the previous year. And they end up dismissing the guy. He does go on to, instead of being a first round pick, be a second round pick. But like you said, some hit to the draft, draft stock there, Jacob, when a guy is dismissed, certainly. Right. And that is, I think, what we will see with Cox. But for Florida moving forward, they're going to have to rely on some inexperienced playmakers and keep doing what Billy Napier said, which was building the depth on this team moving forward into year two. It's uh, it's certainly an interesting scenario. I, I also just want to make clear, uh, Josh Braun was not dismissed from the team. Josh Braun left uh, under his own power to pursue another opportunity. Uh, but I think to Graham's point that we'll see a mixture of, of guys who are either asked to leave or told to go or whatever the case uh, and then a, a you know handful of players who just don't feel like Florida is the right opportunity for them uh, based on how much they played this year or didn't. Uh, and that will lead to some roster attrition for good or for bad. Let's talk about what has already happened, though, uh, as opposed to these hypotheticals. Let's talk Florida-Georgia. Gators lost that game 42-20. to 20. Uh, The 22-point difference in that means that Florida covered that 22.5-point spread. Uh, although I will say that for a lot of this game, I would go as far as to say the vast majority, really outside of a 10-minute stretch, it didn't look as close as even this score would indicate. Uh, Florida went into halftime trailing 28-3. to uh, The only points that it scored in the first half came on an Adam Mahalik 52-yard field goal. And I want to talk about Florida's offense to start here, Graham. Not an inspiring first half, but I will say this. Uh, I thought that the first 10 minutes of the second half where Florida managed to put up 17 total points uh, were very impressive. And they finished the game with 371 total yards, including 271 through the air. And Anthony Richardson was not intercepted in this game, although he did only complete 49% of his passes. I will ask you, Graham, uh, for your evaluation of Florida's offensive performance in this game. Passing was fine from a yardage standpoint, not very accurate. Uh, rushing, netted just 2.9 yards per carry. So what, what was your takeaway from this one? Well, you just said, I think is the biggest detail. And I had said coming into this game that Florida was going to have to run the ball effectively and consistently to remain in this game and break off runs of big yardage, whether it was that was in the backfield or having Anthony Richardson make something happen with his legs. And we said that that was going to be very difficult because of how good this Georgia defense has been, not all, obviously for just this year and last year, but really for the last several years under Kirby Smart, they came in thinking that Jalen Carter may not play in this contest. And he ends up traveling and is able to play in a lot of third down packages in there, which really limited, I think, Florida's effectiveness on obvious passing downs, as well as getting a little bit creative. We saw some design runs on third and seven, trying to fool the defense here into thinking that they were going to uh, run, a, run a, a passing play, obviously. And then you see the, the halfback sweep or a draw play or a halfback delay. And you think that they're going to try and catch this defense off guard and they weren't consistently unable to do that. So that was my biggest takeaway from an offensive standpoint. I don't think either of us really were high on Florida's chances of coming out here and ripping apart a defense in the sec in a similar way to what Florida did up there in Knoxville a few weeks ago. I I've said on this podcast time and time again, that if I think that there's anything that's going to hold Tennessee back this season for being a national championship contender down the line, it's their defense. You know, they allowed Anthony Richardson to have the third most total offensive yards in program history against the volunteers. And I just don't think that Georgia's defense was going to allow that. And we saw that actually be the case on Saturday. And when you're facing a team as well-rounded as Georgia, if you aren't able to score points at a high rate, that game's going to get away from you quickly. And we saw that 
by the end of the first half. But yeah, kudos to the second half. I think that Billy Napier was able to find that bright spot, some optimism in the aftermath of that game. And we talked to him in the post-game locker room, um, excuse me, in the, the post-game media con- con- press conference, when he said that that 17 points in the second half where guys stayed together, played resilient, weren't finger pointing. There was no animosity between units. The defense was winning the turnover battle and Florida was able to actually capitalize in the red zone. I think that when you look at that and on explosive plays worth pointing out, I think that when you look at that, that is a building block for this team moving forward, not seeing them come apart at the seams when everything didn't go their way, mount a comeback because you can build off that. I had said when I made my season prediction that if there was anything that was going to keep Florida from having a more successful year than last year, it was seeing how they did in the second half of the season when they have to face Georgia and Texas A&M here coming up. And when they've already had a pile of losses, how they stay together through the adversity. And I think that the second half there, especially in the third quarter, was a very promising sign for the skater team. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. And you want to talk about improvement. Let's talk Florida defense. Look, Florida gave up 42 points, and that's a ton. And Florida allowed Georgia to pretty much do whatever it wanted offensively, especially in the first half. Totals on the game, Georgia surrender, uh, Georgia uh, picks up, excuse me, 555 total yards, 316 through the air, 239 on the ground, including a six yard per carry average. Uh, and then passing reasonably successful as well, especially to those tight ends, which has been an issue, as you asked Billy Napier about uh, on Monday. That has been a problem for the Gators this season. However, I will say this, and it's going to sound weird. I actually didn't hate Florida's defensive performance in this one. And I, here's here's why. Uh, Georgia, I think, might have gotten not enough credit from some Florida fans entering play in this one. This is the number one team in the nation for a reason. Uh, it's a national champion for a reason. And it's a team that could repeat as such uh, this season. So I think that it's a very powerful offense, regardless of what people say about it. Uh, Brock Bowers is phenomenal. We watched him uh, really go off, including, by the way, a 73-yard reception on some serious circus bobble, tip drill, uh, you know, crazy stuff that allowed him to score a massive touchdown. That that accounted for 73 of his 154 yards. So that's a big chunk right there. I think that Florida looked improved in coverage relative to previous performances. I will give the credit where it's due. Trey Dean, I thought, played his best game of the season. Trey Dean looked very good. 
especially in the second half. Florida was able to generate three turnovers while not turning the ball over once itself. Uh, Amari Bernie, who got you know a lot of, uh, I think faced a lot of vitriol from the fan base coming into the season, thought he played great. Uh, and another guy, I'll give you one more, Chris McClellan, I think, the freshman, a uh, very talented player who showed off what he can do in 29 snaps. Graham, this was a unit that was arguably better despite giving up some massive totals. It did allow a 50% conversion percentage on third down, which is below their season average. Uh, good, bad, fine performance. What, where are you stacking them up for this one? I think it's a hard game to judge. I do think it's a hard game to judge. So I'm going to go with just fine right now, rather than admonishing or necessarily coming out and praising the defense for their performance. Cause again, like you said, they still gave up 42 points and I know right. that they did hold Georgia to just 14 points in the second half, really outscored the dogs there in the second half. And a lot of people say, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And Florida has so much that they have to work on. I didn't think that they could really come in here thinking that the results were going to be indicative of where this team has come right now, because to be honest, I don't think many people fairly gave Florida a chance in this one. Yeah, we made arguments saying that they could be overlooking the Gators and looking towards this upcoming matchup in Athens with the team tied for number two in the country, a number one versus number two matchup between the dogs and the volunteers. I think that people made that argument. And then there was Jalen Carter being out. Who knows what was going to happen in this game anytime you get in a rivalry. But when you look at it, from the standpoint of where these programs are at, I think that Georgia is just in another class right now. And that's not to disrespect Florida. They would have needed to play a perfect game, not just win the turnover battle, but have a fantastic offensive performance, run the football, like I said, and really shut down the dogs on third down. And while I do think that they did some impressive things at times, it's still, I think, highlighted what Florida needs to work on. Yeah, Amari Bernie had a two turnover performance and I, I think he, you know, has made strides this season, but Florida has really, I think, struggled in covering tight ends this season. And that is coming down on the position group right there. Florida's corners I don't think have been as impressive as we've seen in years past. Even in Jason Marshall Jr., not to criticize him too much, but I think a lot of people were unreasonably perhaps in retrospect, but we're expecting him to come in and to be on a similar trajectory to Kyer Elam, where he would emerge in his second year as this guy who maybe could be a first round NFL talent in the near future. And I don't think we have seen anything yet, although I'm no, I'm no expert in that regard. I don't know if we really have seen that type of performance out of him yet, where he could be labeled a lockdown caliber NFL defensive back in the not so distant future. So I think that Overall is what we expected. We know the limitations at linebacker, defensive back, and along the defensive line. You mentioned a freshman and Chris McClellan. They're going to continue to get guys like that in there because the numbers are not desirable where they have to play Jerron Dexter a majority of the game. They really have to continue building experience on the defensive line, whether it's in Tyreek Sapp, Justice Boone, and we know what their issues are. So this was just a team that was completely overmatched in many ways, and to see them compete I think was – still impressive. The third quarter was impressive. Anthony Richardson limiting his turnovers, not making any massive mistakes in this game. Those are all things that Florida can build off of moving forward, especially as they head into, not to get ahead of ourselves, as they head into a matchup against another team that is struggling in the SEC, having lost four straight. So if Florida can keep building on what they did in that game against a really top-notch opponent, I think that it's going to be promising and they'll forget about losing this one to their rival if they can build off of the adversity. Yeah, I, I would also say that uh, 
I was impressed with Florida's pass coverage specifically uh, in the second half of this game. Florida allowed 155 yards on the ground after halftime. Huge number. Uh, not good. You can't allow 155 yards on the ground. It's probably the reason that Florida really couldn't fully get back into this game. It looked for a second like they might. It was a one-score game at one point. I believe 28-20 to 20, uh, after Florida scored 17 unentered points to start the third quarter. That's a good look uh, if you are the Gators. But the reason I think it got back away from them was because they couldn't stop the run. However, take a quick look at the passing stats here. Florida forced Stetson Bennett to complete just three of nine passes with a pick and 54 yards. I am impressed by that. I also would be impressed by the number that uh, of Georgia's first downs in the second half, three came from passes. So uh, that is a pretty promising stat if you are Florida and you're a team that has struggled in, in pass coverage so far this season. And again, I think that goes back to guys like Amari Bernie having a very good game when asked to drop back into coverage. And, and granted, you know, he gives up the touchdown to Brock Bowers, but that was as close to being a, a pass breakup at a minimum, if not an interception. Uh, as it, I mean, I thought it was closer to being those things than it was a touchdown. That's a crazy circus touchdown. It doesn't really count, in my opinion. Uh, so Bernie was good. Dean was good. Uh, Florida played a little bit of man coverage in this one. Not a ton, but, but some, which is not something we've really seen so far this season. I thought it was a good game. I think that, like you said, that was, that was a good word. You, you said that this is kind of a, a launching pad. This is a stepping stone. Uh, I think that Florida can build from this kind of a performance and see kind of where it takes it. Uh, I would say, though, for Florida fans that this is encouraging uh, in terms of defensive performance, especially pass coverage with a secondary that's been kind of hit or miss. Uh, let's look forward one more time as we did at the beginning of the podcast and, and kind of talk about now what uh, for this Florida team. They lose Brenton Cox. After Billy Napier decides to dismiss him from the team, a decision it sounds like you and I both thought was wise. Uh, this is a team that has struggled defensively outside of, you know, about 10, 15 minutes against Georgia. Uh, it's a team that has been inconsistent offensively. I think we saw a lot of those inconsistencies in the first half against Georgia, but, but really throughout the game outside of those 10 minutes. Uh, and there are four games left, I would say three of them are not gimmies. I think that Florida should easily beat Vanderbilt. But outside of that contest, I don't know that it's a guarantee uh, for Florida in any of the remaining three. I'm curious what you foresee for the remainder of the season here. Is this a seven-win season, six-win season? Is Florida bowling this year? What's Where do you sit? Yeah, I think Florida's looking at a six-win season right now. Just going on the road to College Station, I think that they have a chance in that game. I think that it does bode well for Florida when you look at how bad Texas A&M's rush defense has been this season, and you look at a billion Napier offense that loves to run the football. That's a favorable matchup for Florida on the road. And then you're talking about Vanderbilt. I, I think that they can go on the road again and get another one. So that's two on-the-road SEC victories in their final two games of the season. If you can do that win in November – uh, in one hostile environment and one, you know, game that's going to be cold with an 11 a.m. kick. Both of those are going to be 11 a.m. kicks, I think, uh, at, at this rate, honestly. If you can do that, I think that that is progress to build on moving forward. FSU right now is just a little bit ahead of where the Gators are, and they're favored right now going on the road to Miami. So I'm not ready to sit here right now and say that Florida is going to be able to go to Tallahassee and win that game against Mike Norvell and, and the Seminoles. So I think right now if you end up losing – that game um, to South Carolina, perhaps a team that was just ranked, I 
think didn't look great this past weekend, but could definitely pose a challenge to Florida here in that 4 p.m. time slot on, on November 12th. I think if you manage to go two and two, possibly even three and one, if you can beat South Carolina and Texas A&M and Vanderbilt, I mean, I think that is a much more impressive finish than we've seen in years past, especially if Florida can end up being four and four in the SEC. That's building off of last year's two wins in the conference play. So you have to look at that as progress, especially when people are going to be able to look back and say, hey, this was a difficult slate. It didn't set up favorably. And you end up winning six, possibly seven games with a win over Utah. I think that that when you look at the full picture, that is a very promising outlook. Um, How they're going to be able to do that and if they can do that, We'll find out here moving forward, but to do it, they're going to need to rely on guys like Antoine Powell, Lloyd Summerall, who was out this past week, but they're definitely going to need to rely on Antoine Powell to step into that role. He has played nearly 200 snaps this season, so it's not like you're bringing some guy off the bench who hasn't played at a high rate, but they may have to get guys like Jack Pyburn in the rotation as well. Either way, to get those two, three wins and finish with a winning record, the Gators are going to have to rely on someone with a lot less experience than Brenton Cox. I think that's fair. Uh, call me crazy, but, but I like Florida's chances to maybe go three and one over this final stretch of four games. Uh, I think that the one loss could really kind of come in any of these games. Uh, but I think that with the travel schedule that Florida will have to go through, uh, just with the, you know, at the end of the year, you lost an important player who was dismissed from the team. You know, there could be more of that. I'm not saying that there is for sure, but I would think that it's a possibility uh, you know, I think that we could see one loss for sure in the next four. I, I think it's a difficult path to four. No, that being said, I think if Florida can kind of carry that defensive momentum that we just talked about from the end of that Georgia game, uh, into its next matchup against Texas A&M, I like the Gators chances. If Florida can play reasonably improved defense against South Carolina, again, I like its chances. I think that those are two teams that are easily, uh, kind of thrown off their trail Uh, From an offensive perspective, if you can play mediocre defense, I think that these are two teams that don't respond well to uh, defensive pressure. At the same time, this is the the negative side here, uh, the same can be said for Florida's defense. I think that Florida's defense has not yet proven anything, despite a reasonable performance in the second half and one that makes you think and scratch your head about, hey, maybe this could be a decent end to the season. Uh, I think that they need to do it again to really have that conversation. But I think that that was promising. So uh, I would say that the two most likely records for the final stretch of games here should be three and one and two and two. Uh, And I I think it all comes down to how Florida is going to perform defensively. The offense can be what it is. Uh, I think that it comes down to whether or not Patrick Tony can help his players replicate some of the success they faced against the nation's best. So uh, very interesting, I think, for the end of the year. A lot to watch. Uh, if you're a Florida fan, I know that some people are feeling a little disenchanted by the record uh, and like they want to tune out, but I would say don't. I think that there's an opportunity to maybe learn a thing or two uh, about this team, to watch for players who may or may not be back next year, uh, and just to see how the staff continues to help their team improve, which I think they did uh, this week against a very formidable opponent. So uh, all in all, I think that this is a very weird positive, dare I say, for Florida, Uh, after losing by 22 points to rival Georgia. And again, if you don't like what I just said, let me know in the comments on uh, YouTube. And while you're at it, like and subscribe uh, on this video. We definitely appreciate the support. Uh, We hit up 5,000 followers on our our YouTube page. So we appreciate all of you uh, 
who are interested in our videos. And of course, head on over to swamp247.com for daily Florida coverage. We've got football, basketball, and baseball. Basketball season is here. It's November 1st. Uh, Florida will scrimmage. They will play their first game against Stony Brook on November 7th. And I know that there is uh, growing interest in this basketball team just with what Todd Golden and his staff were able to do in the preseason. So if you want great coverage of all those things, again, head on over to swamp247.com. But for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast, that's going to do it. Uh, Make sure you keep it locked on Spotify or YouTube, wherever you consume this kind of content, uh, as we will have not one, but two more podcasts this week. One to preview Florida's matchup at Texas A&M, and another with Swamp 247 recruiting analyst Blake Alderman, where he and I go over all things Florida recruiting in our brand new Swamp 247 recruiting show. So stay tuned, uh, and we hope to see you on the next episodes. But for Graham Hall, I'm Jacob Rudner, and we will see you later.